So put our Bibles to John chapter 12, where Paul read a little earlier this morning. We're just looking at these loved verses. We will have several cross-references, all of them being in the New Testament. John 12, verse 1. I've entitled the morning's message, Servers, Seekers, and Witnessers. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, who was dead, who he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took upon a very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's about a year's wages. Uh, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put into it. And Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Then a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might also put Lazarus to death, because... On account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So we end the last couple of verses here with them coming right out and say, um, we have to kill Lazarus. Now, this morning we're finishing. Um, the Gospel of John is divided up, we've mentioned, in five different sections. And I've said that the largest of the five is chapters 5 through 12, And it deals with what we call the opposition to the Son of God. And we find here this opposition in verse 10 and 11. Um, The religious leaders knew he had to go. They had a problem. If you go back to John 11, verse 53, it says, From that day they plotted on how to put him to death. This is the religious leaders. If you look at verse 57, it says, Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. Now they have a bigger problem. Um, The next day, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, is going to be the triumphal entry. But it's what's interesting that it's what precedes it and the commotion that must have been going around Jerusalem. Everybody knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Everybody knew he was dead. And now he's not. And it's causing all these people to come. And as a result, one of the reasons for the multitudes on what we call the triumphal entry is because what happened the day before. And so... They not only have to kill Jesus, that's been determined, but now they have to kill Lazarus too. Why? He's simply a living witness 
of Jesus' resurrection power. Good place for an amen. So as we look at this, the religious leaders knew that he had to go. But let me give you the reason why. Uh, Chapter 11 tells us in verse 48, they said, this guy does many mighty works. If we let him alone like this, everybody's going to believe on him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So we have different motives. One of the motives was he heals on the Sabbath. Uh, And that's breaking the law as far as they were concerned. Um, And and this is another reason. Another reason was that his words had no place in their hearts. That was another reason. Well, here's the third reason. They They were afraid of losing... Um, the respect they like to be um, looked up to, uh, to be acknowledged as um, um, a person of prominence. We will take away both our place and our nation. So here's another one of the reasons that Jesus simply had to go. The first 11 verses happens the day before the triumphal entry when Jesus would fulfill another prophecy, Zechariah 9, verse 9, where he rides the little colt, the little donkey, from the top of the Mount of Olives down into the Kidron, Kidron Valley. After Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, he goes to Ephraim. So there's a space of time from when the Lord raises him from the dead He doesn't stay there, but we read in verse 54 of chapter, let me get this right here, Uh, chapter 11, verse 54. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked among the Jews, but went from there, this is after he rose Lazarus from the dead, into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. So he's there um, for a period of time until it's time to go to the Passover. The talk among the religious leaders was, what do you think? You think he'll show? You think he'll show up? Um, They knew, Jesus knew, the disciples knew. That's why in John 11, Thomas says, um, uh, in verse 16, Thomas called Didymus, his fellow disciple, says, well, let's go then to Jerusalem uh, for Lazarus, that we may die with him. They knew if the Lord goes to Jerusalem, he's going to die. So here's Thomas saying, okay, then let's go. We'll die with you, Lord. And, of course, he didn't have a complete understanding of uh, Lazarus' condition. So when he comes to Jerusalem... He stays and he goes to Bethany and remains there until the Passover. He comes to Jerusalem and stays in Bethany for six days uh, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, which is a place he would often stay at. Uh, John 11 said he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So as you look at the first two verses, we're introduced to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It says, then six days before the Passover, 
Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Uh, and now we're introduced. There was, there they made him a supper. Martha was serving. Lazarus was at the table. And in verse three, Mary is at the feet of Jesus. So we're introduced to our three main characters. I guess you could call this a character study this morning if you'd like to. As we look um, at their gifts, um, how they were unique. And um, let's begin um, this morning. Let's look at a contrast between Mary and Martha. And we're going to be coming back to Luke chapter 10. So when you get there, just leave a marker in it or something. But let's go to Luke chapter 10, picking it up in verse 38 and 42. Interesting to me that whenever we read about Martha, she's serving. In John chapter 12, she's serving supper while Lazarus and the Lord are at the table. As we look at chapter 10, verse 38, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Therefore, you tell her to help me. And um, so she's ticked at, at Mary for just, as she perceived it, wasting her time just sitting listening to Jesus. But the Lord says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now, this is sort of a gentle rebuke to the Lord, from the Lord to Martha. But I don't, it's the only place that he really does it. I believe she needs, along with all these other women that followed the disciples and said, um, took care of them with, from their substance. I don't believe the Lord had any money at all. Um, remember when they were arguing um, about paying their taxes? And the Lord says, give me a coin. I, I think the reason he said that because he didn't have one. <laughs> when it came time to buy taxes, Peter says, we don't have any money to buy taxes. Well, just go down to the Sea of Galilee and catch a fish, and you'll find some gold in his mouth and go pay your taxes. Handy guy to have around come tax time. <laughs> so, the, you know, maybe he, di- maybe he did or maybe he didn't. But servanthood. We have servers, seekers, and witnesses. Servers are a vital part and I believe it is a spiritual gift. I personally believe everybody who has been born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit has a gift. Do you know what your gift is? And are you exercising it? Um, even though this is before Pentecost and the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, there's people who naturally have gifts. Uh, there's, we have so many talented people. 
uh, in this fellowship. Uh, across the board, from the arts to you name it. And uh, they're extremely gifted at what they do. Um, that's one thing. Um, and it's another thing that the, that natural gift that you have can be used as a spiritual gift. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is basically 12, 13, and 14. Is Paul teaching a very immature um, church? I compare the church in Corinth to be equivalent to Las Vegas. It was extremely immoral, ungodly, and yet um, more is explained to us about the do's and don'ts and just what the spiritual gifts are in chapter 12. Then in the middle we have chapter 13, the one on love, and then chapter 14 is sort of a detailed do's and don'ts as it pertains to the operation of gift of tongues and how they should be used, where they should be used. And so we have 12, 13, and 14. Let's pick it up with chapter 12, verse 14. We should, I should read the first verse. But now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now look at verse 14. And it talks about collectively the necessity for all of the gifts to work together. And we read, for in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleases. And if there were one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to his feet, I have no need of you. I can just see the feet responding, try, try getting around without me. <laughs> if I was a foot. (laughs) No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care, one for the other. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individual. And God has appointed these in his church first, Apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Um, After that, miracles, the gift, plural, of healings. And then this one I want to stop on, helps. The gift of helps. I would change that word also with the gift of willing to serve. 
a servant's attitude, helping out, is one of the spiritual gifts. Administration, varieties of tongues. Uh, Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all, can all do miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a most excellent way. And then we have the whole chapter, of course, um, on the subject of love, and you can have all these gifts, and it won't mean anything unless the motive behind it is, and we'll see this this morning as we get into our study, is why do you do what you do? And if it's the motivation, like Paul would say a little bit later, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. I do what I do for no other reason except I love Jesus. Another good place for it, amen. And that should be our only motive. We do what we do because we love Jesus. Never to draw attention to oneself. Um, never be in a, a position of what I can get out of it or how is this going to help me in any way, shape, or form. The Lord is a great bookkeeper. And he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Um, because uh, do it in secret. Because the time is coming when those things that were done in secret, he's going to make known, and he will reward, reward you accordingly. But if you do it openly before people, he says, you got your reward which means you're not going to get it later because you already got it here. Here at Calvary Chapel of Appleton, we are so blessed with those who exercise the gift of helps in order for us even to be here doing what we're doing right now. My only fear in going into what I'm going to say next is I'm going to forget somebody. (laughs) But let's just start, and I can... Um, what goes on behind the scenes that you're, you're not aware of. Some of you are aware of. We have greeters that greet people on Sunday morning. We have ushers that are, uh, are a team. Um, we have Jerry in the CD room who will have a CD if you want this message right after the service. We have our staff in the sound room, which is straight back uh, from us here. We have our video staff with three staffers in that corner. Um, They're having cameras on right now, and this is being live-streamed literally all over the world. We have a yard crew. We have a snow crew. Um, We have those who collect and count the tithes and offerings after the services. We have office staff. We have people who are here every Friday, a team of people who come here on Friday morning to put together the bulletin that you're holding in your hand right now. We have Sunday school and youth group helpers and teachers. We have a security team. Um, We have Paul making announcements. That means he's got to get up earlier and get here in time. And what are we going to do? What are the announcements going to be? We have cafe helpers. We have special workers 
Uh, whenever we have uh, pastors or prophecy conference, there's a special team of guys that get together that direct traffic and so on and so forth. Um, we have Angie. Uh, we have a whole team of people that will are in charge of setting up for uh, Spoon's funeral this Saturday. There's workers that have to put that all together. And uh, they'll be preparing a meal. We have a gal in the church. Yeah, she's sitting over there. Hi, Kenny. And nobody knows what she does, but now you do. I hope you don't lose your treasure for that. <laughs> but um, she prepares food uh, for the worship team and the workers and the ushers because some of them are here so early, they don't have time for breakfast. So she has this whole platter that she puts together, and she does it every week, and it's sitting there waiting for the worship team and, and those in the back room, and that's done every single week. We have our worship team um, that um, par excellence, as far as I'm concerned, that know how to lead the people in worshiping the Lord. Um, and they're here practicing and learning new songs. We have the cleaners. We have a regular team of cleaners. And then there's a whole another class of cleaners that's involved whenever, again, we have a conference. We'll sometimes stay here till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning vacuuming and cleaning toilets. Nobody knows it. But they're, again, helpers behind the scene. And um, my point in all of this is in the church, there has to be this willingness to be um, a servant who is a helper. You may have the gift, but not the willingness to exercise it. God's not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. Would you be willing to do this? Let's go back to Luke chapter 10 and switch gears from Martha to Mary And we read, whenever we read about Mary, she's always at the Lord's feet. So we read here in verse 39, Martha had a sister called Mary who, notice always the word, always sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Jump down to verse 42. One thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now the Lord is really prioritizing the importance of doing what we're doing this morning. We're sitting and we're listening to the word of God. And he's saying this um, is chosen a good part and it is needful. And as we look at Back in chapter 12, what is she doing in verse 3? Well, she's sitting at his feet. That's what we're told. Um, Verse 3, that Mary took upon a very costly oil of spikenard ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So again, we find her uh, at the feet of, of the Lord. And she was, um, in Luke 10, why was she listening? 
She was um, all ears. She was always seeking to know what Jesus was saying was what's going to happen. That's why I called their servers, but then their seekers. There's people who have and should have an appetite. Um, the Lord actually uses food as a comparison. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. It's the bread of life. And here, um, what, would, what was Mary really looking for? She's, she's a seeker. Jesus is saying things that are just drawing her in. And she can't help wanting to know what the Lord is going to say next. Now, Jesus, um, uh, what I'd like to do now is make a comparison. Um, She knew what was coming next. What did she know? There's going to be a burial. She was there with this very expensive ointment. If you go down, he explains to um, Judas, let her alone. She has kept this day for my burial. She knew Jesus was about to die. And she's acting accordingly. What's interesting to me, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Even though, and look at verse 21. This is more than one time Jesus is going to tell the disciples this. In chapter 16, verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and what? And be killed and be raised again the third day. This is Peter's response. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke. I wonder what it's like to rebuke God. (laughs) Listen to God. (laughs) And he began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord. This will not happen to you, especially if I'm around. And Jesus turned around and said, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. What did Jesus just say? I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, you're not. Not with me around. And the Lord rebukes him for it. Let's look at another example, Matthew chapter 20, with the rest of the disciples. If you pick it up in verse 20 of chapter 20, then the mother of Zebedee, sons of, this would have been James and John, came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said, well, what do you wish? And, and she said to him, well, well, grant that these two sons of mine might sit, one at your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. They weren't listening. Clearly he had told them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. At one time, uh, another gospel, they're actually arguing about it, who's going to be the greatest when the Lord sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. So they didn't think he could hear him, probably couldn't hear him, but again, what do you, what do you know about John? 
John tells us, without exception, what that person is thinking, uh, even um, even if uh, they're not thinking it at that particular time. My point is, they put mom up to this. And he says, next, but Jesus answered and said, um, what you ask, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptized that I'll be baptized with? And he said, oh yeah, sure, Lord. They weren't listening. The baptism he's talking about is his death. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it's prepared by my father. So what, what does Mary have that the disciples did not? She was tuned in. She was taking it in. She wanted to know. She was a seeker of what? Lord, what are you doing here? What are your plans? Well, my plan is to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to rise again the third day. She heard it. The other guys were told the same thing. And what does the scripture say? But be doers of the word and not hearers only. They listen uh, pretty much what, uh, it's the old Paul Simon song that I like to quote all the time. Man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. What the disciples want? They wanted position. They wanted some authority when they got into the kingdom. Peter, on the other hand, I'm the rocky one. Nobody's gonna take you. And it's all flesh and it's all about them, but not so with Mary. Mary is what I call a sincere seeker. And the Lord said, you've chosen the better part by sitting and listening to the word of God. And that the church needs to be like Mary, um, seeking the Lord, sitting at the feet, hearing his words. Why? Because God's words... um, cause us to grow spiritually, of course, number one. But God's word tells us what's about to happen. Mary wanted to know, what's about to happen, Lord? And he told her. And she prepared for that. Now, um, the reason it's important that we know the word of God so well, so we also can know what's about to happen. There are things that are happening every day that point to the generation that Jesus is going to return. Matthew 24, he tells us the parable of the fig tree when the nation is regathered. Interesting that that was in Psalm 14 this morning. Um, that is, all prophecy is going to be fulfilled. I could pick many stories this last week, but one of the big ones that's stirring the pot is this Iranian, I mean, let's put his picture up. This Iranian general, Soleimani, he was killed. He was taken out. Trump actually admitted that uh, he allowed the strike to take place. Doesn't he look like Sean Connery? I always thought he did. 
He's killed hundreds of Americans. He's ruthless. His whole life is, is dedicated to not only take out um, Americans, but his hatred also of Israel. Now, I know uh, that this is just another step towards the Ezekiel 38 war in the Middle East. That's what this is telling me. And how do I know that? Because I know what God says is going to happen after Israel is regathered back into the land. And Iran is one of the three major countries that are involved in Ezekiel 38 war. Is not Putin and Russia in the Middle East right now? Is not Erdogan and Turkey saber-rattling over the pipeline and um, stirring up trouble? Uh, He wants to be the leader of the revived Ottoman Empire. That's how he sees himself. So we have all three of them. I think we showed their picture last week. Now, if you're a Mary and you're seeking to want to know, the Lord says what? We sang it this morning. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. These things are knowable. The problem is the church isn't teaching it any longer. They don't give inductive Bible studies. They don't teach Bible prophecy. They don't teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so you can put it all together. When you do that, you get a complete scenario, but more importantly, uh, starting in Genesis, you'll understand Revelation. And you'll make it through Daniel, and you go, oh, that's where that fits in. And um, it's interesting in Daniel chapter 12, where the Lord says to Daniel, um, Daniel wanted to know more. And he says, oh, I'll tell you what, Daniel. Um, um, these things are hidden from you, but I'm going to reveal them in the last days. So um, he wants you to know, but you have to be sitting, taking the time, and having your Bible studies and making them a priority and be um, like a Mary. Turn with me to Matthew 20. We went there, did I read that? Yeah, I got a little ahead of my notes here. It basically boils down to this. The Lord told us to seek first his kingdom, amen? But whose kingdom are you really seeking? Your kingdom or his kingdom? The disciples were baptized with the same baptism as Jesus' death. When they said that, and the Lord said, are you able to be baptized with my baptism? Oh, sure, we can, be, we can do that. They had no idea what they were saying. Uh, the Lord was referring to his death. Even Peter, and taking notes, John 21, this is how the Gospel of John ends, Jesus tells Peter he's going to die. Uh, John 21, 18, most assuredly I say to you, talking to Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God, and we had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus told Peter he would die, 
but he didn't tell us how. Fox's Book of Martyrs is an absolute absolute must read for every Christian because it's so turned upside down from what the Bible teaches. American Christianity today is flip-flopped. It's all about your life. You're a better life now, like I always like to say. Uh, but it's not. It's actually the reversal of it. Instead of having this wonderful life now where you believe in a prosperity gospel or the name it and claim it, all you have to do is claim it in Jesus' name and it's mine. That sort of mentality is exactly the opposite. Let me use this for an example. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, when the Lord says they're going to stretch out your hands, he didn't tell them, oh, by the way, it's going to be a crucifixion, Peter, and you're going to be upside down when it happens. Peter was crucified upside down. James, brother of Jesus, was thrown down from the temple, then stoned, and then uh, killed with um, uh, wood-covered cloth instruments. James, the brother of John, was beheaded. Paul was beheaded. Thomas, who went to India, was slain by a dart. Simon, brother to Jude and James the younger, was crucified in Egypt. Simon the apostle was crucified. Mark in Egypt was drawn with ropes into a burning fire, burned, and then buried. Bartholomew, beaten down with staves, then crucified, and afterwards beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Uh, Matthias was stoned at Jerusalem, then beheaded. Matthew was run through with a spear, and Philip was crucified and stoned to death. Hey, guys. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? They said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not one of them was thinking about the torturous martyrdom that they would all go through with the exception of John. Uh, The Lord had a plan to keep John alive, even though if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, they say there was an attempt to boil John in oil, and John wouldn't cook. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so they sent him to the island of Patmos where he received the revelation of the book of Revelation. These are those that followed the Lord. That's not taught today. How many times are you going to hear, hey, you guys need to read Fox's book of martyrs to see what um, real Christianity is really about. And as Claire was, was given his testimony, I'm um, the other night. I'm, I'm glad he got around to, to the party. He says, you know, this isn't easy. And it shouldn't be. And uh, there's, there's times that you're going to go through situations in your life with misunderstandings. Why is this happening to me? Yeah, you, got it, you got it made easy. Um, my friends Mike and Katie Crow, who I've known since 72, missionaries to China all these years, they had to leave China. They had to leave because there's hit lists out for him and pastors in China. There's paid informers who are going into the underground church so they can find out who the leaders are and kill them. 
So it isn't as if there isn't persecution in the world. But we, we do not see that um, at all, uh, or very, very limited um, in the States, even though just currently it's been, it has been escalating. Lazarus, let's go back to John chapter 12. Now look, we looked at servers. We looked at seekers and the importance of being a seeker and sitting at the Lord's feet. Let's look at Lazarus. Here he is. Everybody knew he was dead. And here he is, alive and well. We read in verse one, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, uh, had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And in verse nine and 11, because of this, many great men of the Jews knew that he was there and they came not to see Jesus only, but they may also see Lazarus whom had been raised from the dead. And again, the chief priest took counsel that they must also uh, put Lazarus to death because on account of him, many of the Jews were believing in Jesus. We've talked about servers, we've talked about seekers, now I want to talk about witnesses, people with uh, a gift of an evangelist. Lazarus was dead. Now here he is alive, a living witness of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Just by being there. Go ahead and turn the page back to chapter 11 and reread again uh, verse 22, Martha's question. Um, Martha's saying, but even now I know that whatever you ask of a God, he'll give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother's gonna rise again. And she says, oh, I know, Lord, at the, at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? My friends, this is the most, inqu- most important question you will ever be asked. Um, we had two friends, um, both of them serving the Lord with the gifts that God has given them. Uh, Donovan from Oshkosh and Spoon from our fellowship here. They're not dead. They're alive and well. Brand new bodies. And um, they look looking down and saying, well, those poor guys, they had to watch Wisconsin get beaten in Rose Bowl, all kinds of trials, and don't have those problems anymore at all. And so <clears throat> we find he was dead, and now he's alive, and as a result of it, people are getting saved. Now, in, um, it, it brings up the question that all three are necessary. Wouldn't you agree that you need to be a server? Wouldn't you agree that you need to be in the word and be a seeker like Mary? And wouldn't you agree that we need to be witnesses for Jesus Christ? The Lord said, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father 
who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. But you might be saying, yeah, Dwight, but you don't know my family members um, who are upset every time we go and have a meal with them uh, and it'll just cause problems. There'll be no peace if we start talking about Jesus. Do you know the Lord's response to that? If you're taking notes, it's Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemy enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let me just put it to you frankly. If your family members reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, let it at least be a rejection, not something that you don't want to stir the pot and cause problems in the family by saying anything. No, if you don't say anything, what kind of love is that? They're going to end up in hell. Will you let that just settle in for a second? It took a while for the rich man for it to settle in to him. When he realized his state and there was nothing he could do about it and he was in torment, all of a sudden, then he thought about his brothers. Would somebody please go and witness to him? Send Lazarus. Have him witness to him. Now, I'm not trying to place condemnation or conviction, but have you ever shared your testimony with somebody? Have you ever gone out of your way to witness to somebody with the intent of leading them to a personal relationship with Jesus. Dwight scares me to death. Here's a suggestion. Carry a great big pack of God of wonders around with you wherever you go. You don't have to say a word. And another good open door for witnessing is just by saying, hey, is there anything I can pray for you for? Now, that is disarming. Wouldn't you agree? Instead of, uh, you know, coming off... (laughs) wacky and crazy and holding up the end of near signs and stuff like that. That really draws them in like, <laughs> like flies, Donnie. No. Uh, use a little tact. Be tactful. Um, Paul said, I, I've, I've become all things to all men. Know who you're talking to. And then come down to what they're into. Start the conversation out with what they like to do. And then just work it around and get them to ask questions. If you can get somebody to start asking questions, that is a very, very good sign. But if you're one of those people that likes to witness and you start talking and you don't stop talking for 20 minutes and then they turn around and walk away, that is not good. That's not being tactful. So the Bible says what? Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And if they reject you, what does the Lord say about that? He says, okay, you've been rejected. Shake the dust off your feet. Go talk to somebody else. That's the instructions that the Lord gives us in being a witness. Now, here's what happened. I was dead. You were dead. I came back to life. I was born again. 
And because of that, we've become living witnesses. And what was a result of that? Other people got saved. Boy, I remember Dwight, and he sure is the same Dwight I went to high school with, I'll tell you that. (laughs) And now, this will be my 50th this year. And every time we have a class reunion, they always ask me the same question. Are you still doing that uh, Christian thing, um, pastor and all that kind of stuff? They asked me at my 10, the 20th, the 30th, and they're going to ask me again this year. Maybe it'll give up. And, and um, I, don't, I don't recognize those old people anyway. I go to these things, and they're so old. I go, who are you? <laughs> the church... Turn to Matthew chapter 8, 28, I'm sorry, and I'll begin to wind this up this morning. Matthew 28. We need people to be available. When we get up and ask for help in whatever area, Sunday school, yard crew, be, be like Isaiah. Here I am, send me. Are you available? Just to be able to um, Help. Just be be willing to help out. We need Marthas. We need seekers. We need people on a a basis that want to know what's happening and why. What's going to happen to you, Lord? Well, I'm I'm going to be buried. What does Mary do? She does something about it. She prepares um, these spices for his burial. And we need real witnesses in these last days of the real gospel of Jesus Christ, where we actually say, unless you uh, pick up your cross and follow after me, you're not worthy of me. Not telling them everything's just be hunky-dory and fine if you give your life to the Lord. No, it won't. (laughs) And I, I say this often, but it's so true. You have two natures, one of the flesh, one of the spirit. They're always at war with one another, And like I like to say, the one you feed is the one that's going to win. And that's why Jesus um, commends us to be, in his word, daily bread. Your man can't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And uh, we don't think too much, have a problem with with feeding the old flesh two or three times a day. (laughs) And yet... um, our flesh would seek us to keep away from what you guys are doing this morning. I would challenge you with your priorities when it comes to these things that we mentioned this morning. And it's really not my exhortation. The Lord is the one who said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. He said, do that, number one. And he says, all these other things that everybody worries about, I'll take care of it. If I can feed the birds of the air, I can take care of you, and you're much more valuable than a sparrow. So don't worry about it. By the way, that has become my favorite verse in these last days. Um, Which which of you worrying about anything, you you can if you want to, but it's not going to change a thing. It won't add an inch to your height. And I'm again meditating on that verse, that I'm thinking, I got a lot of things that I think ahead about. And now the Bible is telling me right here, right now, don't do it. And I always do it. But it's been ministering to me because as the world gets more and more falling apart and 
and crazy, for lack of a better word, uh, your mind can tend to um, think on those things. And I thought, Lord, that's got to be one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible. Take no thought for tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. You've got enough on your plate today to be worrying about what's going on tomorrow. Good place for an amen. amen. And that, this, been, this really, I, I told Judy a couple times over this last month, I think I found a new favorite verse for the days we're, we're living in. I'm, I'm implying this one. And you know what it does? Sets you free. Sets you free. Whatever you got going on that day. The church needs all these. Um, Let's turn to the great suggestion in Matthew chapter 28. No, these are the final words of the Lord. And he is speaking about being a Lazarus. And it's not just to the disciples or those who have the gift of evangelism. Verse 18, then Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. There you go, there's chapter by chapter and verse by verse, all things. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And the Lord ends the Bible study for us by saying, amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through the Gospel of John and we're introduced to people that your word clearly says you loved, we see that they were unique in their personalities. We see that they were unique in their gifts. But we also, Lord, see the necessity in a healthy body to prioritize the teaching of your word, all of it, so that we'll be able to say like Paul, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Thank you, Lord, that it tells us what is going to happen. And after you tell us what's going to happen, um, he encourages us by saying, comfort one another with these words. So Lord, this morning, we pray that you'd help us examine our heart and just see if our spirit is willing um, to be available. And if you are, ask what our gift is, Lord, and how we might seek to apply it. Lord, we do not want to stand before you empty-handed. We know you're taking account of the things we say and and do for the kingdom. Some will remain, some will burn away. But help us redeem the time, Lord, and be found busy doing and being about our Father's business. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Worrying about anything, you you can if you want to, but it's not gonna change a thing. It won't add an inch to your height. I'm again meditating on that verse that I'm thinking, I got a lot of things that I think ahead about. And now the Bible is telling me right here, right now, don't do it. And I always do it. But it's been ministering to me because as the world gets more and more 
falling apart and, and crazy, for lack of a better word, uh, your mind can tend to um, think on those things. And I thought, Lord, that's got to be one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible. Take no thought for tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. You got enough on your plate today to be worrying about what's going on tomorrow. Good place for an amen. amen. And that, this, been, this really, I, I told Judy a couple times over this last month, I think I found a new favorite verse for the days we're, we're living in. I'm, I'm implying this one. And you know what it does? Sets you free. Sets you free. Whatever you got going on that day. The church needs all these. Um, let's turn to the great suggestion in Matthew chapter 28. No, these are the final words of the Lord. And he is speaking about being a Lazarus. And it's not just to the disciples or those who have the gift of evangelism. Verse 18, then Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. There you go, there's chapter by chapter and verse by verse, all things. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And the Lord ends the Bible study for us by saying, amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through the Gospel of John and we're introduced to people that your word clearly says you loved, we see that they were unique in their personalities. We see that they were unique in their gifts. But we also, Lord, see the necessity in a healthy body to prioritize the teaching of your word, all of it, so that we'll be able to say like Paul, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Thank you, Lord, that it tells us what is going to happen. And after you tell us what's going to happen, um, he encourages us by saying, comfort one another with these words. So Lord, this morning, we pray that you'd help us examine our heart and just see if our spirit is willing um, to be available. And if you are, ask what our gift is, Lord, and how we might seek to apply it. Lord, we do not want to stand before you empty-handed. We know you're taking account of the things we say and and do for the kingdom. Some will remain, some will burn away. But help us redeem the time, Lord, and be found busy doing and being about our Father's business. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.